Arthur Balper and the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of the program. Making his monthly appearance is his senior editor, something like senior editor at Fangraphs.com. It is Jeff Sullivan. Jeff Sullivan is the guest on this edition of the program. As in all of Sullivan's other appearances, what one finds here is a tale told by two idiots signifying nothing. Full less of sound and fury, however, and more of nervous mumbling. If you have come to this edition of the program looking for the same sort of crack analysis that appears in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, do not continue to listen. Do not go instead to Dave Cameron's weekly appearances, Eric Longenhagen, lead prospect analyst, Eric Longenhagen's bi-weekly appearances for that sort of incisive commentary. No, instead what one finds here is an unabridged record of Jeff Sullivan's mostly beautiful mind. A record which begins almost now, because there is no sponsor's message. If there were, it would be for SeatGeek.com, but there is no sponsor's message. There's only the question, what is this? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Senior editor, Jeff Sullivan. And when does it begin? Right now. Sandwich. You ate your sandwich, Jeff. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had seeds in my teeth. Yeah, it's uh, a. <clears throat> there's no good way to begin. I think that's the point, because there's no reason for what's about to happen. There's really no reason for it to happen. Yeah, no, I think everybody agrees. I do know. Uh, so I I just listened to a bunch of podcasts during a lot of driving last weekend, and I don't usually listen to that many podcasts because I guess I don't need to explain myself, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I just forgot I have a dentist appointment. Well, anyway, this is for everyone's enjoyment. Wait, why uh, is your dentist to appointment today? Uh, uh, no, thankful. So, anyway, so I listened to a podcast, and it seems like the uh, the best way to start is to spend the first five minutes basically uh, do it talking about the sponsor. Okay. Um, you can you can talk about the sponsor. You can talk about all the different ways uh, that you could talk about the sponsor. You yeah. can. You can do a. You can make a bunch of references to the things that you're going to talk about, but go into uh, obnoxious, unnecessary detail on what you're going to discuss without mm-hmm. actually getting to the point. Yeah. What? Yeah. The, the, the uh, first five yeah. minutes of any podcast, basically, you can skip them. Well, the first five minutes of I don't know any conversation, I think, tend to be tend to be the most difficult um, because either. Either so, in, in in some cases, perhaps you are conversing with someone whom you don't know that particularly well, or with whom you're not about to have a long conversation, and so it's short and maybe a little bit awkward, or maybe it's maybe it's pleasant, but only for the two of you, not not in a public facing way. Or alternatively, perhaps your ambition is to um, reach some depth on a on a subject or a number of subjects. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you have to have a, the awkward... I don't know. You, you've been in... Uh, you've you've loved people before, right? I've had conversations. Oh, yeah. You've had conversations. <laughs> but you've, you've, you've been in at least one relationship that you would describe as a love relationship between yeah. two people. Yeah. yeah, that's true. For me... Exactly the, one. Yeah. Don't ask which woman... <laughs> For me, the be- for me, the beginning is always the worst because it's fraught with uncertainty, and um, even just 
even just when you the first time you kiss someone, you neither of you know wh- how to kiss each other. You've never kissed each other before. I mean, listen, it's I should be clear to uh well uh to all my future partners because I'm definitely <laughs> going to be divorced upon. Um it's the uh, the beginning one will always be the worst one because we everyone has their own style and you can adapt. You know, or you can, or you can stake your ground. And you say this is how this is how we're going to be doing it until we die. This is where my face is going to go, <laughs> and then you just have to work with it. Yeah, I don't. I do not yes and my French kissing. Yeah. it's a it's a it's a power move, right? I'm laying out the romantic topography, and you just have to deal with the the nooks and crannies here. Yeah, that's right. You make right. the best of you. Just camp where you mm-hmm. find a flat spot. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's been so awkward. I really wish it didn't exist. In every relationship I've ever had, going back to, honestly, when I brought Martha Dennerly to the local cinema when we were in fifth grade, I've always wanted just to it have having been going on for at least a year already. <laughs> so you, what you really want is the uh, the you're living together part, and then you both, or at least one of you, gets home from work. And you change, and you don't have to feel like you have to put an effort in. Like, you just want the part where it's no longer special that you're together. Because <laughs> I want it to be no longer special. No, <laughs> you you I just wanted... want everything to be taken for granted. No, no. I would like to feel comfortable with another person. And to have – because there is also a certain um, – there. well, there's a, there's a list of unspoken agreements that occur between two people who have been together for some time. Right, we're not yeah. going to talk about these things. We will going. We're going to avoid these emotions. <laughs> um, I won't say anything about your parents because I know it makes you cry. And conversely, uh, you know, don't ask me, you know, how I feel about, um, you know, this the particular subject because I'm going to give. I will provide an irreverent answer that will ultimately make you upset. <laughs> you know, and so, and the, but there's this combination of things, and then the things upon which you agree, and uh, can they can be very sweet, very sweet things upon which you agree. So you long for the part where you are comfortable with the person, but how do you feel about the part where you are too comfortable with the person? Which okay. is, you know, year three, year five. No, I don't, I haven't gotten there yet. I don't feel you too comfortable around any humans. <laughs> well, no I guess sort of sort of part into being too comfortable with someone. Do you know either? Uh, based on experience or based on intuition, whether you can fart into a Ziploc bag and then contain contain the fart. I, I actually, don't. I, I asked this for a reason, but I, it's important. I don't know this, but I do know yeah. that you can fart into a, a, a an empty Quaker Oats container uh-huh. and then open it years later, and it will smell exactly the same. That's true. That's science. That's science. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I feel like a Quaker Oats container might be more difficult to stick through a mail slot. Okay, okay, yeah, that's a good point, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so... Just gonna, so just yeah, let that just, dangle there. No, yeah. Um, so, no, that's how I feel. And, and sometimes maybe uh, a strategy I have, and I... In, I don't know if other people appreciate it. Is that I just say to myself, I will, I, I am automatically going. I'm going to behave as comfortable as I want to with these people, despite uh, the fact whether they're ready for it or not. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to um, going to be my own authentic self. Um, and I th- I feel like, for example, when I'm with you, Jeff, I don't I don't know like if I were to start a conversation with you, I don't necessarily know what I would do. But uh, <laughs> like when we spend time together, I mean. But I feel I feel very I would say I feel very uh, I feel at ease with you generally. I don't. I wouldn't consider myself a threatening person, so that's nice to hear. No, so, it's, not, it's not just a question of threats, um, but but yeah, I, I feel as though I could say, um, I could be, uh, you know, I feel like my natural state is one that's generally irreverent. Uh-huh. Talk about poop, for example. Yeah. It's a it's a subject to which I journ with some frequency. <laughs> anyway, what were you gonna say? So what? Well, I don't uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. So how do you handle if you if you strive for the the uh, the experience of being comfortable with a person and you want to skip past that introduction part? Then how do you handle yourself at things like meet and greets? Obviously, you were otherwise occupied at uh, the most recent Fangraphs event on Saturday night in the bar in New York City, yeah. but you were at a separate event w- with people that you were not. Uh, that was easy. <laughs> you were not familiar. Yeah, and I might have explained this. To you as well is a Patton Oswalt comedian Patton Oswalt. Yes, I think it was on a uh, uh, during some sort of interview. He explained that he never wants to, to go to a party. He never wants to be at a party which he's not to which he hasn't been invited. Mm-hmm. And and I in, in a metaphorical way he means that he doesn't. He's just like um, he never wants to thrust himself on someone else um, in, uh, in any way. Um, he might have actually been like talking sexually at that time, but I think like also just <laughs> like in terms of career ambitions, either he's not uh-huh. the sort who's gonna uh, attempt to glad hand people for the sake of uh, career advancement. Maybe he's lying about it, but I'm just going off what he said, uh, and that's how I feel about those sorts of things. Uh, those sorts of events. Now, listen, rarely have there been events. For example, the one at Staten Island, where a number of readers had actually paid to see us. Um, that's a unique event in my life, certainly, um, <laughs> rare, um, and uh, like an exotic bird in a zoo. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I feel very comfortable with them because they're. Well, I think if nothing else, what this group of people was making clear is um, this is uh, uh, we have some desire to be here, and so I am entirely at ease in that situation. Yeah, and I guess you don't go into it having built no relationship because even if there are people that you don't necessarily know specifically you they have an understanding of who you are mm-hmm. you have a general understanding of the fangrass demographics maybe you've interacted on twitter yeah and uh yeah so and there's obviously there is well i guess i would say a shared interest but i'm not convinced you actually have an interest in major league baseball so there's at least a shared interest in general thought processes yeah that's uh, it and, it's, not, and the thing is and i would say and it it certainly applies to this uh, to this program uh, for which we're producing content at the moment. <laughs> <clears throat> if I feel as though I have a shared interest with someone, that almost becomes the the thing in which I'm least interested in discussing. Does that make sense? So, uh-huh. um, when for example, at one point when I was uh, when I was at the MFA program at UMass for poems, to actually talking about poems uh, was one of my that was. Uh, the furthest thing from my mind at some level because I said, well, we have all, we have that in common. Um, and because we have that in common, we probably are, uh, uh, we have similar uh, minds in some ways. So let's, let's turn our attention towards all of the other splendors of this world. And it turns out there aren't that many splendors. So it was 
Always a short conversation, Jeff. What about you? A short you? conversation where you can't work past the, the boring introduction. Yeah. What about you? What did you, uh, I think that you are, well, you're, you're, I think you're, are you an introvert? Would you say you're introverted? Definitely introverted. Uh, less, less so than before, but yeah. uh, this is a household that has two introverts, and so one of the first conversations you have when you move in is, okay, we need to be able to, uh, protect our personal spaces mm-hmm. so that, uh, so that one may recharge. That's, I think when, uh, when you are in a relationship with one or two introverts, it is unpleasant until you get to the point where you can have a conversation about the, the need for alone time. Cause previous to that, you just are constantly being drained. Anyway, that's getting off subject. No, no, it's not uh, getting, here's a, here's a question though, because we've discussed this before. At some point you might, you did some sort of meetup, right? For rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after the previous uh, long-term relationship I was in, and then yeah. I realized that I was in a city where I didn't know many people anywhere from home, you need to make an effort unless you want to to live like a hermit. I was not yet prepared to live like a hermit, more so now, but I made an effort to get to know people, and it actually worked. Uh, right. it was, so I the think thing- the, one, the one positive experience people have had off meetup.com. That is, a, that is a terrifying prospect to me, the idea of going... With strangers, I know no one, and we're all going to I, – I get that there's an activity there, right? So it's not just you're like, let's be friends now. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the bad ones are if you're going to a bar or going to a restaurant, a happy hour or something. But the, the rock climbing really worked out because there's this activity, and so it's convenient. I don't know if you've ever been in a rock climbing gym, but you know, you're know you talking and you're asking people like, hey, are you here for the meetup? And you do your – your boring backstory stuff that you do at the beginning of any relationship, but then at any given moment, if you lose interest, you can just be like, "Well, I'm going to climb," and then then you're gone, and you're just focusing on your own thing, and you're on the wall, facing the wall. It's not awkward because you're just like, "Oh, I'm trying to make sure I don't fall off or whatever mm-hmm. it is." So it, uh, and then when you finish the climb, then you come back down or you go around, then you can just cycle onto somebody else or no one, depending on on your mood. So and what happens? Was, you go out for a drink afterwards. Yeah, that's what we used to do. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's still uh, the prospect of it's terrifying to me because I always think, on the one hand, on the one hand, I want to, I would love to meet someone and, and establish, you know, human connection with that mm-hmm. person. But on the other hand, uh, I, I say, well, what if, uh, what if, this is the wrong person, that with whom I'm establishing this connection. I don't catch it till too late. You know, because especially like when you first move to a place, my wife and I, for example, first moved to a place, you really scan and you say, oh, no, if I if I become uh, close to this person, maybe that's not the best I could do. You know, I could say, oh, I could have done better. <laughs> or alternatively, I don't recognize that they're a, um, a huge weirdo, you know, until until it's too late, until I've yeah. given, given this person my phone number and address. Uh-huh. That's, that's terrifying to me. Uh-huh. And then they have... Emotional burdens, some of which they'd like to share with me. That's terrifying. Huh? Are you referring now to your wife? No, I'm not. No, no, I'm. I've become accustomed to her emotional burdens. Well, so that's that's a stage where maybe when you're younger, I don't know uh, if and when it changes, but you can get into relationship with someone, a romantic relationship, and then there's that question in the back of your mind of, oh, could I, could I upgrade this, mm-hmm. or uh, am I, am I content? And it's. I think we've talked before on probably multiple podcasts about the dangers of ambition, uh, because oh, ambition as terrible. a, yeah, where, where do you, 
where do you become content? Some people say that contentment is death, and then ambition is just another form of death. So I think maybe the resolution there is that everything is death. You know, I have a friend. I have a friend who married. Um, I have a friend who's a male and married mm-hmm. a female, mm-hmm. who I regarded as um, <laughs> before they were married and when they were getting married. And after they were married, I said, I think that, I think that your wife is better than you. And she's more attractive. She's definitely more attractive than you and more intelligent and has more earning power, right? Uh-huh. And then uh, so it was not uncommon for me to make a comment about like, yeah, you you know, oh, it was a very typical comment. It was you married out of your league. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, now a short time later, uh, she's leaving him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, – um, <laughs> it is one of those things where I feel like maybe I won't say that. It's funny. It's funny when you, because I really, in my heart, I said, well, they'll probably be for you know together till uh, well till he dies, because he's definitely going to die before she is. That's how I thought about it. I won't. It won't be awkward then, you know, because we're not going to talk too much after he's dead and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, but no, it didn't. It just lasted a couple of years, and then I felt bad. And then I just felt bad. But then I said, well, it's what that just happens, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, in a sense, it's it's really his own fault for getting into something and not necessarily sticking a step back to realize the situation he got himself into. Yeah, you, and, gotta, you know, you got to watch out. He, yeah, but he, he uh, I spent a number of years, at least two, two or three, yeah. uh, with someone who was who was above him. So you know, there's there's worse things. That's true, and maybe he um, maybe he gathered some intelligence from that. It's like leasing uh, a really expensive car. You know, you don't you don't keep the car. Is there any advantage to leasing, Jeff? Oh, I don't know. I have not driven a car from this decade. So I don't know oh, yeah. what. I was talking somebody, to somebody the other day. In my said, chat. He said he uh, was. Not, wait, someone in your chat asked you? Yeah, go ahead. Well, somebody the other day I was talking to said I. He was. I was like. Uh, he's like, yeah, I only lease my car because I don't want to. I don't want to owe that much. And I was like, well, you get. If you drive a car now, you're going to have to continue to drive a car. <laughs> so, But now you're just paying more per month for it. Well, that seems like a bad idea to me. Either buy a used car or a new car, but, but I think leasing is very expensive. Yeah, basically being a, a career renter except applying it to vehicles instead of residence. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when you, when you are forever renting, then you're basically just lighting money on fire. I think that's true. Although you do have uh, what freedom, flexibility. Yes. Yeah. Are you going to be a career mentor, Jeff? Uh, probably not. We were uh, just Uh-oh. just a week or two ago. We got an email. Our lease is due for to be extended, and then our the owners of this townhouse sent us an email being like, "Hey, so just out of curiosity, would you guys be interested in buying the townhouse?" Which is which is uh, provoked a number of interesting conversations between myself and my partner. Yeah. Which. Uh, I I wouldn't say we were not prepared for them, but in the way that you kind of focus on the day to day every day, we were putting them off. You know the big the big yeah. questions. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah, the big ones like how long can we stand to live next to what seemed like uh, a herd of a baker's dozen uh, five year olds? Yeah, that one's that one's unpleasant. Oh my god, and they're all f-ing friends too, so which means that there's just no time of the day that you don't have. Sc- they all communicate by screaming. They're like birds. I was actually. Talking with my wife about this the other day because there was a um, this town in which I live. There is a there's a large there's sort of like a Fourth of July celebration. Yep. Yeah, and there's sort of a carnival. So all of the carnival things show up. The gravitron shows up, 
and um, merchandise booths that have hats that say swag on them. <laughs> you know, the typical fair. The yeah. typical fair. In any case, um, one of uh, the things we saw in multiple cases was groups of teenagers w- walking around together. Mm-hmm. And one of them was – I was like, how old do you think that those young women are? And uh, we were trying to guess. And they were kind of g- giggling and stuff. And I said, oh, I said, oh, that's difficult to get. I said, I said, what would you prefer, you know, mm-hmm. to run into a group of like 13-year-old boys or a group of 13-year-old girls? And that's a tough question. But she said that she made the comment. She said when she was that age, I don't know if it was 13 exactly, a little younger maybe. She said, we thought it was cool just to make as much noise as possible. So that was <laughs> – that was they would just make noise. There's a lot of screaming, and they thought like this is it. This is the scene. That's a weird thing to happen into any person's brain. Yeah, that is a weird uh, activity, I suppose, consensus activity to just be like, oh, we're just gonna get together and make sounds. Yeah. Although I guess that's all talking is. It's just a very coordinated set of sounds. Yes, and being in a band. Yeah, yeah, being in a garage band. <laughs> Guys, let's let's get together and make sounds. <laughs> that's kind of that's actually kind of adorable when you phrase it like that. I guess that's yeah. uh, children talk. Yep. Hey, what did you? Uh, what were you driving, Jeff? Uh oh. Well, you mean for this past weekend? Yeah. Yeah, it was a long weekend, so we thought we were going to go back back in northeastern Oregon, over in the Eagle Cap Wilderness, uh, the Wallawas, as a mountain range. And then we were looking stuff up the night before, and it said there's still a bunch of snow from you know the winter. Yeah. Which uh, which was astonishing, and so we thought, well, okay, can't go to northeast Oregon. Let's go to southeast Oregon. The super remote desert and, and series of canyonlands called the Oahe. And so we went to the Oahe Canyonlands area, which is right around the border of Oregon and Idaho. And there, instead of winter snow, it was 107 degrees. So, oh, wow. you know, Oregon is a hell of a state. Yeah, it is. But it, Wait, uh, it took us. I, when I think northeast Oregon, I'm yeah. thinking like that area along the Columbia River Gorge. Is, is, am I wrong here? High oh, it plains? gets, it gets way further east. So. Way further east. Yeah, so the Columbia River bends at some point. It goes up into Washington, maybe about half the width of Oregon. Like near uh, Kennewick? Yeah, Kennewick's over there. Walla Walla's over there. There's Hermiston, which there's no reason for you to know Hermiston, or no. Boardman, Boardman, I don't know. Appropriately uh, named. In, yeah, uh, in Oregon. And then it just continues. And if as you drive east, you sort of go a little south and east to Pendleton, which makes the hipster blankets. And there's oh, yeah. Legrand. I don't know if they were always hipster blankets, but yeah. Well, no, most things that have been they've been co-opted. You're saying? Yeah, they were just they were once just blankets. Yeah. And uh, and then you head up towards community on Wallawa Lake in northeast Oregon. And Joseph is like a small town, but it's got an art scene that's surprisingly young and hip for a town that's nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then you can drive from there. Well, there's there's a whole area. Northeast Oregon is spectacular. It's got Hell's Canyon. Hell's Canyon is the deepest gorge in the country, All which right. no one no one knows. It's where the Snake River is. Well, it's part of where the Snake River is. The Snake River covers a lot of area. But oh, uh, I see we couldn't. You, yes, I see it now. I see Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So you just keep going on 84, basically, as opposed to bending up into 82. Yeah, and then if you want to go to that area, then you you split off the 84 at some point. Where we wound up going, we took the 84 all the way into Ontario, and then we wound up in Idaho. I'd never been in Idaho before, and uh, I was expecting Idaho, you know, potato country, and my girlfriend has a a strong, not quite allergic, but a strong negative response to onions, okay. uh, just the general presence of onions, certainly the scent. Uh, 
in in great numbers. They make her want to throw up. Oh boy. Uh, perhaps make her actually throw up. I haven't seen that part. But we we went into Idaho thinking like, all right, we're going to see some potatoes. And then it turns out Western Idaho at least is onion country, and so there are just fields upon fields of green onions and onions of other sorts growing. And we uh, it was a most I I like the smell of onions, mm-hmm. so it was. It was a different drive for the two of us. I would. So you are you actually were getting close to to Boise at that point. Yeah, we were within thirty five or forty miles of Boise, but we wound up turning off in a town called Homedale. Okay. Homedale is a small town. Although it's a very small town, but I found out that I have at least one Twitter follower from Homedale, which is always surprising because in Homedale we passed a a store. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a store that's called the Karen's Country Corner. Nothing weird about this. Karen's, con- Karen's seems Country fair. Corner. Yeah, seems yeah. totally reasonable. General, general store, country store, nothing weird. Uh, Karen, of course, spelled with a K. So that's one of three words that you would spell with a K, but oh. it all begins with a hard sound, a hard K sound. Sure. Karen's yeah. Country Corner. So she thought, or maybe she and her family thought it would be cute to maybe start all the letters with oh, a K. Yeah. Karen's Country Corner. Karen's Country Corner, three Ks in a row. And I don't know, I, you never want to assume intent, or yeah. you never want to assume uh, you know, overt racism. Yeah. But we did drive by Karen's Country Corner, the sign out front, with uh, three Ks in a row, all mm-hmm. all lined up just so. And we were in a rural town in a, I would say, Trump state, perhaps. And yeah, not- I think besides that, uh, well, even before uh, this election cycle, I certainly, I think uh, Idaho does have a reputation for harboring maybe white supremacists, maybe a little bit. They've had problems with with that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know there are a number of Confederate flags, but it's a holiday weekend, so maybe people are just coming to Homedale mm-hmm. with their flags. I don't know, but we uh, we didn't spend a lot of time there. No. What were you? Why were you in Homedale? Uh, it's just the way to get to the Oahis, Oahi Canyonlands. You uh, you go through Homedale on the way down into the desert, and then the maps stop applying to what you're doing, and okay. you end up on unmarked roads. You really went You went out there. Yeah, it was fun. Actually, for the first time, I kind of justified having bought a Subaru. <laughs> and so so uh, you went out here. How? What's the drive to get out there? Hours. Hours and hours. Probably about seven and a half or eight. So you... Oh, yeah. It was Hi. a long-ass time in a car. Yes, it was. So what podcast did you listen to? I listened to a bunch, but a lot of uh, Cracked podcasts. Uh, Matthew Carruth has recommended a Cracked podcast to me. And cracked. then I realized... Cracked.com. Cracked.com. Yeah. Okay. Not exclusively, but then uh, we find the host to be enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, and he has a, uh, a cadence and a manner of speaking that mm-hmm. upon hearing it, I realize also how Matthew Caruth talks. Ah, and it, yeah. it involves these deliberate pauses and unexpected upward inflection in the middle of sentences. And I guess this would be an example of me doing it. <laughs> and then I realize that it, it kind of colors the way that I speak too and and it just gets into, I guess, what, mimicry? Yeah. And it's in the way that if you're talking to somebody who has a thick accent, you might be more likely to just start allowing that accent to maybe I don't know exactly how it works. I don't interact with many people who have strong accents and that's not a Portland joke, but it is a Portland joke. And I wonder, do you find do you sort of work toward a middle compromise if you have some person who has a thick accent and then Between you the two don't? of you. Yeah. Yeah, sure, I think so. Yeah. Well, no, no. I think that maybe the or maybe the 
thicker wins. Maybe the thicker one wins. Right. I mean, the the thicker one, it would be difficult to unaccent yourself, but it's easier to mimic an accent, I think, I'm guessing, than to mimic the absolute. I shouldn't say the absence of an accent because that sounds self-important, but uh, the average voice for an American speaker. I think they're flatter. I think you can talk about what uh, flatter toned, flatter toned yeah. voices. You know, I don't. I don't think I have an accent. Of course, nobody thinks they have an accent, but I don't know what I sound like to another so-called average person. I think pretty dull. I would assume. Yeah. I'm wearing khaki pants right now. Like this, this whole thing, yeah. podcasting about nominally about baseball. This is just a dull. This guy. This, this it's is a, a dull chino, afternoon. <laughs> it's a. It is a. It's a khaki-colored program. <laughs> um, that sounds. Uh, I was recently. Um, uh, well, I was recently in my in where I work. But my wife was listening to the Philosophy Bites podcast. Are you familiar with this one? No. Well, it's hosted by Nigel Warburton, and Nigel Warburton has a has a silly accent. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But what's uh, what's disconcerting is, um, in contrast to a number of people who exist solely on uh, audio in an audio world, um, where I I have a tendency to imagine them as being more handsome. Yeah. Uh-huh. Than they actually are in real life because their voices project some some sort of vision of this. Nigel yep. Warburton has a very silly voice. Uh, he's got a, one of the silliest voices. He sounds like a little. He sounds like a like a little mouse speaking British, speaking British English. Um, adorable little mouse with a like uh-huh. a, I don't know of a lisp or something like that. Uh, and uh, no, but he's like a handsome man. Yeah, he shouldn't he shouldn't be on the radio at all. Except I guess he's also a talented uh, scholar of philosophy, so that's pretty uh-huh. good. But the reason I heard it is because I well first I recognized Nigel Warburton's voice, but then I also recognized he he was saying the word futility over and over. I said <laughs> this interests me. He was talking about midlife crises. Uh huh. Yeah. Is this why you you tweeted about your mother, concerned about your midlife crisis? Oh, it's interesting. No, that actually well perhaps uh, you know, those two things were just coincidental. Yes, but I did. My mom did say that, though. Yeah, she said. Uh, I'll repeat it here. She said, um, "Oh, it sounds like you're going some uh, through some midlife things." She said, "Actually, uh, that's just a guess. I, I suppose we'd have to know when you die to know when midlife is for you." She said, "You could, you could have reached midlife a long time ago." Like what mothers say. You know, they're they're always thinking about the death of their children. Yeah. I don't think she would be. I don't think she'd be too happy about it. But she does have a, uh, another child, you know. So maybe it would be less difficult for her. Yeah, yeah, probably you would be the greater burden. The people are always saying like, oh, the parents never want to have to bury their kids. But I, I think really as a person, you don't want to have to bury any anybody. Yeah, that's well. It's also really not how funerals work, is it? Yeah, no, and the parents can, would never. Usually, usually, you can hire someone else to to do the actual burying. Yeah, I guess if you're going really. For a budget sort of ceremony, yeah, you paleo, know, kind of paleo funeral, <laughs> like a DIY service for your <laughs> your dead son. Just be like, you know, we have a yard, we have shovels. Yeah, I guess we have to bury our kids, but I feel like it's it's an expression based upon uh, something that happens with a decreasing frequency. Yeah, uh, people burying their own children. Yeah, and, well, but actually, in, 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 on both sides, med, um, the literal burying of anyone. You don't you don't you don't have to do that as often. And also, I think fewer children are dying now, isn't it? True. There are fewer children and fewer of them are dying per capita. There's just not a lot of infant. There's not infant mortality like there used to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I saw a film recently called The Witch. 
um, which is uh, t- it takes place maybe in 17th century New England. A uh, man and his family have just been essentially uh, excommunicated from a pilgrim village, Puritan village. And he says, all right, we're going to go out and live in the countryside. And then uh, terrible things happen to them, a series of terrible things. And I think the result is um, all of the kids die, basically. And they started off with five of them. But uh, it starts off that they lose one kid. A kid just gets swiped, essentially, Hmm. maybe by a witch, presumably by a witch. Mm -hmm. uh, But uh, the mom is real torn apart by it, you know. She's real Mm -hmm. upset, and she's praying all day and all night. And uh, it, to me, I thought, well, of course, it seems to me normal to be upset that if your child is gone. But they, she also had like four other kids. All of them were healthy, which seems to be a fantastic record for 17th century New England. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like you're you're batting, even at this point, 80%. Like yeah. you're batting 800. You're doing good. Right. You know, like the, the best parents, you know, the best parents in the 17th century New England fail 70% of the time is, I think, what the expression was. <laughs> it's true. So It's true. That's exactly, yeah. yeah. If you're batting 800, you're still going to make the Parenting Hall of Fame. Now, granted, uh, based on the way you've told things, it sounds like she declined. She had a, a steep age-related decline in terms of her parenting skills, henceforth. Yeah, well, she uh, – I mean, part of it was – now, there's – on the one hand, uh, we have the supernatural influence of the witch, you know, that wanted, that wanted everyone dead. But um, I think that in, she was distracted a little bit. And uh, it made things difficult because on account of they had been excommunicated. Or what's another mm-hmm. word for that where you're forcibly, you know, where you're, you're told to leave from the place in which you live? Exiled? Yep. They were exiled? Can you be ex- – anyway. Yeah, so they were uh, sent out there and they were living in the countryside. And the dad, in addition to having uh, gotten them um, gotten them excommunicated on a, by virtue of his difference of opinion from the from – the, you know, the – the, the village fathers. Uh, he also was a, he was also really bad at keeping them alive in other ways. Uh-huh. He was re- he was not good at farming. And when he did farm, he grew mostly corn, which I don't know. That seems doesn't seem like a great idea. There's not much nutritional value in corn, is there? I don't think so. No. So uh, didn't work out too well. They didn't make it. No, it doesn't sound like a very good family. No. I didn't particularly care for the movie. I thought it was. Steeped in cliche. Uh, well, it can't be steeped too much in cliche because they did kids' children or five children killed. It's <laughs> true, true, which is is highly uncommon. I th- I don't know exactly what level of production this movie was. I don't know if it was a big budget blockbuster or some. It was some not. No, it was a it was an art film from Ontario. Okay, I am unfamiliar, but I remember watching the movie adaptation of what Stephen King's The Mist I think it was Ooh. from 5 or 10 years ago okay and uh and i mean i guess you can spoil things you already spoiled your movie the kids are dead so in the mist yeah the kids a kid all dies, of them but the, one die all of them but yeah. one dies but thomas jane i think thomas jane was a father character in in the mist and at the very end of the movie thomas jane is in a situation where he thinks either he has to kill his child or these monsters in the mist are going to kill him and his child. So he puts his kid out of his misery. And so he takes a gun and he shoots his kid, who's like, I don't know, eight point blank in a car. And he kills his kid. And mm-hmm. the kid's dead because of Thomas Jane shooting him in the head with a gun from point blank range to kill his son. Yeah. And then, not, I don't know, 30 seconds later, the mist clears and it's all solved. And the military shows up and Thomas Jane is rescued. And then he realizes, oh, I didn't need to shoot my son, though. Whoops. Yeah. Because we're fine now. 
Except you're not talking to his dead son because but he's did dead. It, did it, no, but did the mist go away because he shot his son? No, the mist went away because I think the military uh, fixed it or maybe were responsible for it in the first place. But in any case, the mist cleared independently of Thomas Jane shooting oh, yeah. his son. Killed his son. And, and this is this is the mist. This is uh, like a, a blockbuster movie. This is a big deal. And yeah. I don't watch a lot of movies. I never have. But I was stunned. I mean, I was not rooting for him to like kill the kid. You never root for a kid to be killed most of the time. But yeah. well, it's it, still, it seems like your relationship with these five-year-olds... I don't want them to be killed. No. Just have some skateboarding accidents. <laughs> and so when I was watching it, I wasn't I wasn't happy that the son was murdered, but I was happy that a movie had the stones to go there. Yeah. Because it, it well, felt presumably so a book unexpected. did as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the book did as well. But then to to stay true to it and to put that into a Hollywood production was was a bold maneuver, and uh, I was pleased. And I was sufficiently pleased that I continue to bring that reference up to this day when I yeah. talk about surprising ends to movies. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying, Jeff, is that for you, a movie's not a movie until a kid's getting put out of his misery by his dad. Is that right? It's, it's, uh, on, it's on the list. It's not the only qualification. Okay. But no? it's up there. So if, if you were going to make a film, for example, uh, do uh-huh. you think it would have, uh, it would have infanticide at some point in it? No, I don't think it would have people at all. I think it would just be landscapes and birds. Winged migration? Would you I don't really want to. I don't want to watch the birds migrate. I want them to stay in one place. Okay. They can fly like from perch to perch, but I don't yeah. want them. I don't want to have to go anywhere. Would you have David Attenborough narrate it? No, I don't. Maybe you're not listening. I wouldn't have any people. No, but he's just narrating. Yeah. He's a person, right? Yeah, but there are films like this that exist. I'm sure. Of just yeah. birds, but you don't watch them. You don't. Uh, no, I, you're right, I don't. Do no. you? You just watch a film of a bird? Hey, I'm, I didn't say a bird. Birds. Birds. Birds in landscapes. I would watch a film of birds in landscapes. What do you mean you would watch a film? This is These films exist. No, because they all have speakers. No, they don't. I have I'm no sure you go to YouTube, speakers. you watch a film of a bird. Oh yeah, YouTube. You can find any. Hey, I saw. Uh, I saw. This is, this is dumb, but I saw a movie on YouTube uh-huh. uh, at one time, and it's these, it's regular bees being attacked by killer bees. <laughs> I think killer bees, or maybe tarantula hawks, or something like that. And uh, it's great. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah, because they slow it down. There's. I can't believe the sort of coverage they get of it. And the the killer bees. Let's just say it's killer bees. Yeah, the killer bees are so much better at killing than the regular bees. The regular bees are pretty surprised, you know, and they have some <laughs> uh, larvae and pupa. They have some pupa, yeah. and the killer bees come in, and they could kill – each of them kills like 20 regular bees per bee. That's great. And then the regular bees, they're just like, oh, look, we have a new giant friend. No, we don't. No, we no, don't. No, we don't. No, he's going to murder all of us. They murdered all of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that's, the a, indiscriminate, that's a – indiscriminate murder – that I you you see portrayals in in science fiction movies of like alien contact and then you end up in these like weirdly intimate situations. But I think maybe Independence Day was a better representation because they just come in, they just indiscriminately blow shit up. They don't like wait to interact. Like yeah. if you're in the kitchen and there's a bug like on or an ant on the counter, you'll just like slap the counter and kill the ant. Yeah. The, and you won't even you won't give it a second thought. And I feel like if we ever encountered uh a superior, or at least a, a 
equal but more belligerent species that they might just be like, yeah, yeah, there's human. <laughs> and then they kill us. They kill us all without even like a second thought. Uh, you know, like how things generally kill in the world. Yeah, right. There's not, well, right. In, which is why you, which is why you know that any, uh, scene that in, in like an action film, right? Where the hero says something like, uh, where the hero's in trouble. He's been, he's been captured by, uh, Alan Rickman, you know, or Christoph uh-huh. Waltz. Yeah. And, uh, Chris, Alan Rickman's like, I'm going to kill you. And then you're like, well, why are you telling him you're going to kill him, right? Because, uh, uh, then you, then that's when he's going to get, get away. And then he's going to kill uh-huh. you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think that if any of the James Bond villains would have discussed with one another, like the proper way to dispose of James Bond, yeah. then they would do things very differently. Each one individually would have a different plan. It would, it would be like, oh, James Bond. I shot you, and now I will tell you that I shot. You, but now I don't need to actually tell you because I shot you. So yeah, they should have. There should have been. I think they should have more. Uh, they should have shared more information, perhaps. Right. This They're, is the problem with the villains. They don't work together. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. This is the problem with the villains. It is true, right? And it's like in any like any Chuck Norris scene. You know, they're always coming. It's like there's like thirty guys, but they just like it's like twenty nine of them wait in the like in the background. <laughs> And one of them comes up and Chuck Norris kills him. You know, or he doesn't kill him, but he gets him real bad. And then uh-huh. uh, another one comes up, and then they get him. Yeah. And then another one comes up and gets him. And then uh-huh. uh, it's like, well, why do you just – if 30 people – if you all just ran as hard as you could right into Chuck Norris, then you would – Chuck Norris, you, he can't fight that. You know, I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's great. He could do maybe four or five guys at a time, but he can't get 30. I think the difficulty there is that you there's a limited amount of surface area to to punch and kick uh, with with one person that you're attacking as a group. It's kind of like having three people try to take a dresser upstairs. You yeah. know, like oh, the, I see. There's not enough room to uh, to do it. Yeah, like I could see it, one guy gets the front, one guy gets the back, and then you're just like wailing away at Chuck Norris. So yeah, it always stands out in a scene. But like at more than three, I think then you the other twenty seven kind of do have to wait wait their turn. Yeah. Maybe just like turn and beat each other up or something i just feel like no like i mean 11 nfl players can fit into a huddle why why, why can't why can't they form a huddle around chuck norris well then the, then you're just encircling him very close like you're not necessarily in in constant physical contact with chuck norris's person <laughs> and you know you know what's what people don't discuss often if you are one person and you're against 30 people odds are the 30 people are right if you're one, okay, yeah. Just like, yeah. If if you're if you're acting on a theory that ninety seven percent of the people involved are in the wrong, mm-hmm. usually you are in the wrong. Usually you're the one who should be disposed of or yeah. have his mind forcibly changed. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen. Um, the video is actually called Thirty Hornets versus Thirty Thousand Bees. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd like to I'd like to conduct an experiment with you right now. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. No. Okay. I'm gonna send it to you using uh, technology. Mm-hmm. And um, we're gonna hit we're gonna start watching at the same time. Uh-huh. Okay. You see? Do you right. get that? Do you receive it? I see it. I see it. Okay. I'm gonna go back to zero here. All right. And. Can you can you hear the sound when I play it? Well, I just muted mine. Why don't you mute, mute yours? Okay, I'll, it's muted now. Okay. 
All right. Now this is this is a dumb experiment, but we've been speaking for 40 minutes, and this is only a four-minute video. So this is this is only 10. It's been dumb up till now. This is only 10% of it, though. You ready? Uh-huh. Ready. So I'm gonna say on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so that's it. That's one of the hornets right there. It yeah, we off. see a hornet. We we see a hornet on a stick. Yeah, that's a mean hornet. some sort of. Uh, I think it, this is the outside of a hive. And uh, he does. He, uh, the hornet is frantically looking for something to kill. You already get the sense. <laughs> oh, we have a fade out. Oh, it's this. Whoa! Oh, animated hornets. No, no, this is true. Oh no, I don't think there's a camera on this hornet's back. No, there's not a hornet. On, this isn't. This is. No, no, you don't think this is real somehow? Well, anyway, look at so these hornets, these thirty hornets. Uh, no, they found all of the bees, and you can see the hornet is much bigger than the bees. And here, um, I think this is just excellent camera work, is what we. I have just want here. to point out while you uh, while you do this about yeah. a, uh, a week ago, someone on Twitter requested that you and I and I think Dane narrate uh, yeah. a live baseball game. Yeah. Uh, on a podcast, and I, I guess this is going to be the compromise. That one we can't do. That one's illegal. So we're going to narrate. This is not illegal. These hornets are huge, and they appear to be. Uh, there appears to be some sort of plan being hatched right now. And look, this one that just flew in through the screen had just like a little bee in it in its paws. <laughs> which oh, okay, yeah. So now we have a close up view, and this horn is really dismantling a bee. Yeah. Now now we have indiscriminate death. Yeah, we do. Just, oh my god! Oh my pulled, god! Pulled a bee in half. Ripped his body apart. Yeah, he did. And just very quickly. And you see, even the, these hornets, they'll get a couple of bees on them. They, they pull a real Chuck Norris situation. Right. Um. I do not feel as though the bees are coordinated in their efforts, though. There's a lot of panic, I sense. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, they, but the, if there really are 30,000 of them, what, what is that? The, the hornets make up what percent of the bees? One, like, uh, half, uh, I mean, one-tenth of a percent or something like this, right? Uh-huh. One-hundredth uh-huh. of a percent? Is that right? Um, but some of these shots are – it really looks like these these hornets, right – they look as though they're the they're the subject of some manner of a science fiction movie, given the given the the proximity to which these uh, these footage is shot. These hornets are coming through and they're killing the bees really bad, really killing them. Do you have anything to add, Jeff? I don't have a lot to add except I don't see what the purpose is of this act on on the hornets' part. I don't know what they're going for. They don't seem to be eating. Look at, look at all these bee carcasses. Jesus, goddamn Christ. <laughs> oh, this one's just stuck in the f- territory. Yeah, like he's the boss. Like, okay, actually, this is slow motion, so never mind. Right, but he or, still appears. He just he doesn't appear to be worried. None oh, of the, okay. So so now you got the hornets trying to get underneath. You got the trapped bees under the door, on the other side of the door. Yeah. You know, doors have little cracks, and then yeah. the hornet knows the bees are inside. This is like maybe is it the second Lord of the Rings where all the principal characters are like tucked into that one mountain castle. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to keep away all the orcs or whatever, you know? And I guess they eventually win, but uh, it's not going to happen here for the bees. Uh, you could probably <laughs> sense that oh one. Oh, well, that one was really snatched and then just Jesus. discarded. It's sort it's of like, like if you, a if you cigarette. Imagine, like a uh, – yeah, or like a like a like an English king, you know, just like after he's done with a, with a roast lamb. He might just throw it over his back, you know? Yeah. So to give a visual, I guess, to the listeners, imagine a cartoon representation of someone, like, going through uh, a crammed closet looking for, like, a particular... 
you just go in and you're just like reaching and throwing shirts behind you, right? You have it visualized in your head, the animation. Just like throw in clothes behind you, piling up on the floor. This is what the hornets are doing to these bee carcasses. Yeah, right. Um, and then we just have uh, now we we this is an interior shot we find oh. of the what do you what do you call the comb of the honey of the nest mm-hmm. what is it hive of the hive perhaps and uh, just littered the inside of it with uh, bee carcasses. That's oh, true. I figured out the, the hornets are after the honey. Of course, that's what they're doing. They want the honey. They've attacked them for the purposes of the honey. I assume. Yeah. Now, how, what do you think is the death toll for the hornets? Oh, none. None. You think none. it was none? I think it was none. No. none. Except maybe when they got to the honey, they might have turned turned. The video's over, I should say. The video's over. I don't know. Doesn't it seem as though the bees should have a better strategy to you? Yeah, and it, which is funny because, you know, what's the what's the word? Hive mind? The expression that people use yeah. to describe consensus collective thought that's maybe not necessarily explicit, but... Yeah, you've, you've got this hive mind idea, and bees are working together up until the point where they are attacked, except when, you know, if you're a person and you engage a hive, you know, if you step too close or if you accidentally touch one, or if you just, like, throw rocks because you're eight and you're a shithead, you know, the bees will attack. They'll ha- they'll they'll coordinate with one another, and they'll come after you, and they'll all sting you, and then you'll die. Yeah. But apparently when a hornet, when, like, one hornet comes in, they just don't know how to respond. They're like, these are our gods. It's like when... When the the Spanish came to conquer the Inca people, oh just, yes, what was it like? What 168 uh, conquistadors? Yeah, or maybe one conquistador. They can't all be conquistadors. Well, some of them are lower level conquistadors. Yeah, con- conquist conquistadites. Uh, <laughs> that like 168 people or whatever it was that conquered a civilization that numbered in the millions. Because. Advertising. <laughs> Is that what they used? They had a great brand. Supplemental advertising. <laughs> uh, no, how did they do it? What? Because they because they can they presented themselves as God. They were believed to be gods. Well, also they had guns. Yes. Yeah, guns make a big difference. Uh, they were presumed to be gods. Uh, at least one of them was presumed to be a god, and then you know you're cool with God's entourage. And so the Inca were to. Uh, to fight against them, and and the Inca population is so spread out that, you know, you're not really conquering millions of people at a time. You're just conquering like you just get to the core, and then you you govern from there. If you had speaking of gods, I was thinking about this. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but uh, um, one thing about which I'm always tickled, something about which I'm always tickled, is uh, some of the Roman, the, um, some of the minor gods that the Romans had. So you you you're familiar with the big ones, right? Like your uh, well, of course they have a Greek name and a Roman name usually, but you got your uh, uh, you know your Saturn. That's a big one, right? Uh huh. And uh, Zeus. Those are from different. Yeah, Zeus. Zeus is Greek. Zeus is Greek, yeah. And then Saturn. What was Saturn in in Greek? It, the, the point is, it, I I don't need to. I don't want to talk about that. The <laughs> uh, there were these great minor gods though. That the Romans had before they adopted the Greek gods, yeah, and uh, they were less, they were less um, grand in in many ways. Because mm-hmm. um, I know there was one, there was like a god of uh, baby food, and just to make sure that the baby food was okay, you know, uh-huh. uh, which I think is a funny one. But I was wondering, 
uh, if you had, if you could think of your own gods, what, what would be important gods for you? Like, like so, is there very, here's another example: uh, uh, a Roman god who protected people from fevers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's a goddess Fornax, a god of bread baking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. God. I think you could you could have more umbrella gods. You could go with like a god of contentment. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. A, right. a god of wellness. A generalized wellness. But there's Patina, the goddess of children's drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, this... I guess there's... You figure if you have too general... Mm-hmm. Of of a god or goddess, then then they're going to have too much under their jurisdiction. They're not going to be able to pay as much attention to individual things. So really, the Romans were going for for specialization. Yeah, you have these gods. You probably have like PhDs or, or postdocs, fellowships, or whatever, where they they've put in a lot of work to be really really good at their one little thing, very right? specific thing. And right, so, a lot of training for that. Right, right. or natural so, talent, a combination of the two. One assumes it's probably both nature and nurture, right? Yeah. So you've got these these very specialized gods, and then you know, maybe you find that they're more receptive because they're not as likely to be overloaded. They're going to be more familiar with the ins and outs of their one specific thing. Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, the god of war. Well, there's lots of different types of conflict, you know, like when, what, where's the threshold between a war and an armed conflict? Or, you know, like, like, well, I'm blanking on his name. So whenever like Stephen A. Smith is in a disagreement with with anybody, you know, like a war of words, even if it's scripted and it's totally artificial, like that has war right in it. But does that does that count? No, not really. Or is that just is that just is was there a god of of smaller disagreements? God of uh, fa- fabricated. Um, all I can think of is disagreements. So there's sub um, there's a god sub sub rink subrincinator sub subrincinator subrincinator the god of weeding. <laughs> and then, um, but there's another one, Sarator, who's the god of weeding and hoeing. So, you know. so there was a double, there was double weeding coverage. There's a lot, apparently, a lot of weeding to be done. Yeah, that's interesting. That's you can you can tell a lot about a civilization based on what their gods were tasked to do and how many yeah. they were in number. Yeah. Problem. I would have a god of uh, god of naps. Uh huh. Love naps. Hmm. God of uh, God of futile endeavors, uh-huh. futile endeavors. Uh-huh. And would that would the God present? Uh, how what would be what would be the responsibility of the God to just provide them to you? Uh, to just to oh, just like a, to oversee, just to be uh-huh. uh, just to be there essentially, just to have a presence, <laughs> just to ensure the futility of your tasks. I don't know if he or she would be ensuring it, but it would be just a guide. Along the way, I mean, if there's a yeah. god of weeding, like how does that work? Like, is it give me strength for this weeding? Is that how it works? Yeah, I guess that's a good question. I don't really know how the gods work. Or is it just like, uh, oh, I'm weeding now. Um, thank you, Sarator, because I'll also be doing some hoeing later. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I guess we'll be spending the day together. I know that uh-huh. you're with me to feel as though there's some presence. Right. Yeah. I guess. I guess Sarator would. Would ensure that the process of the weeding mm. would uh, would go smoothly. I guess if, yeah. if you provided sufficient sacrifice for. So I don't know what would you. How many 
would you need to make sacrifices for? Because I feel like maybe the weeding god you could like kind of live without. Although again, there were two of them, so maybe maybe this I is a bigger problem. I think you just say some nice words. Is really all that God can expect at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you say, "Oh, is your house falling down?" Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't buy a house. That's my last, <laughs> my final words. Uh, yeah, if you say, "Hey, uh, I'm doing some weeding now," um, let's yeah, let's be together. You're great. I think you're great. You're great. And then maybe there's a prayer that goes along with that. I would like more prayers. Uh huh. I would like more prayers. I would like to feel as if the world were full of living mystery. That'd be great. Uh-huh. That's I'd like there are certain, you know, um, you find in certain Catholic areas that there's a lot more of uh, interaction with, with the saints, who I think fill the, the same role of these sort of, uh, these minor gods, you know? Mm-hmm. The patron saint of, you know, doing the dishes or whatever. Patron saints, I think, have a similar role. Or anytime you're embarking upon any sort of task there's a there's someone or thing to which you can appeal the uh, god or patron saint of driving driving uh-huh. long distances mm-hmm. that would be useful. oh and long distances specifically long distances yes right like, yeah no and then it could be like a god of commuting as well uh-huh and if you're commuting then this god is with you and just uh, to have something that you can dwell on while you're doing it so you feel as though your task is not entirely meaningless. There's some magic uh, embedded within it. The um, the god of writing a blog post. Uh huh. Oh yeah, no. The the god of blog post topics uh, seems to not come around in the orbit often enough for one's <laughs> preference. Have you been I don't making know if sacrifices? <laughs> I would. Yeah. You wonder if you have. What what civilizations that have uh, committed ritualistic human sacrifice? Which of those civilizations have had the high greatest number of gods? Because how small of a task would? Where's the threshold where you're like maybe we should like not kill a child for this one? You know, like I think human sacrifice is saved for the big ones. Right? Okay, like the the general harvest. You wouldn't be like. No, I don't you know think so. we need we need like an afternoon of rain, but no more than that. An afternoon rain. Although, of course, if you're living in a culture where infant mortality rates are high already, mm-hmm. then maybe uh, sacrificing a child really isn't that big a deal. Yeah, like at that point, you can't afford not to do it. Right, and of course, there's not you know there's not people are not using birth control, so um, and they're likely not using abstinence either, because, <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. Um, and so probably there are just kids everywhere. What is a group of children called? I mean, a group of crows is called a murder, right? Huh? Pack of dogs. Uh-huh. What's a group of children called? Also murder. <laughs> it's called an also murder. <laughs> God doesn't also murder. Be careful. I heard over the weekend, so I, this is the year where I've started to encounter more ravens than crows, because, you know, you see crows in the city and then you see ravens when you're, when you're more remote. And over in the desert, there were ravens, which are great. Ravens, you know, big crows, no big deal. And everybody knows what a crow or a raven sound like. Kind of like a crow with dignity, a little bit, right? Yeah, a little more, a little more uh, melancholic dignity, yeah. dignity to them. And so you know what they sound like. They they have that, not like a 
guffaw, but it's more of a, a guttural caw mm-hmm. that they have. And also they uh, can make some like clicking noise that people don't really realize. But yeah, wait, I, wait, let me interrupt you. Um, we've seen ha- uh, how many hornets or, or sorry wasps or hornets are necessary to kill thirty thousand bees. Uh-huh. How many uh, like how many ravens would you need to kill a, to kill a group of crows? Like ten like ten ravens versus how many crows? Oh, I don't think that the ravens bring death. I think they just portend it. Okay. So I don't, yeah, I don't think that they're directly responsible for for any sort of calamity, but they're just there to pick at the bones afterward. Okay, all right. Yeah. So it's really like the ravens would would come provide a warning to the crows, and then a person would like be drunk and accidentally drive through a bunch of crows who I guess weren't paying attention, and then the ravens would come down and then pick at the dead crows on the street. How many ravens would have to present themselves to how many crows? Is it? Is it could just be one to like a hundred? Just as a warning? No. I think just one raven would be sufficient for a warning. For uh, for X number of crows, indeterminate number. Yeah. Okay. Now, could a crow do the same thing to a group of ravens? Oh no, no. Okay. A crow oh. comes by. This is pathetic. So this is right. No. Okay. So we're in a we're uh, we're in the wilderness and we're we're listening to these to these ravens, these grown ravens. And then I heard a noise that was like a regular a regular raven noise, but it was like two octaves higher. I think. Mm-hmm. And they would be a little briefer, so it would, I could, didn't identify what it was at first. I didn't think it was a baby raven until I looked it up after the weekend to confirm. But I guess it was a baby raven, and we heard a few baby ravens that, that made this noise. And I can't quite, at this age, I can't get high enough to do a good imitation, so I'm not going to try. Mm-hmm. I tried a lot of times this weekend. I lost In the car. Well, you had a lot of time like, to try, I assume, the whole ride back, seven hours. And also just in the canyon, because we were the only people there because of the 107 degrees. And uh, so there was this this baby bird, and it made a noise that sounded like you could identify it as being a crow or a raven, but it was like if the raven was just afraid of every waking moment of its existence. <laughs> like, like it would just like imagine what sound you would make if you were a, a raven and you were on top of this rock face, and then you didn't know that you could fly, yeah, but you knew that your parents were around. And that, that that's the noise. And so you just have you just hear the sound that sounds like a bird that is just frightened to its core of everything that it is experiencing. And then because it's a baby, it never shuts up. So it's yeah. just constantly making this noise, and it just it uh, I haven't it actually brought me to tears at one point just sitting there and listening to it. You were mad. You over and over and over. Mad. It was no, it wasn't mad. I didn't go insane. I was just filled with so much deep joy. At the sound of this bird that just sounded like it was afraid of the very existence of it. Just to be in nature. And, you know, when you're isolated, you, there's kind of a a fear that creeps in when you're all by yourself, or with, when you're with one other person in a very a, a remote place, and there's yeah. no other people, and there's no cell service. You know, you're fine, but it's like when you're in a room with the lights off. You just don't know. It becomes a little more fearful. But when you're in a setting where you might ordinarily be fearful, but then you hear this bird that just sounds like it's itself out of terror. It just completely shifts the fear from you onto your projection of that bird. And it, it was it was actually the highlight of the weekend. It was that and that and Karen's country corner. Did it uh, did it calm did it cool down at night out there? Oh yeah, yeah. Desert that's, that's desert landscapes. But I, I remember we did it, we were near to the Oahe 
river slash reservoir, mm-hmm. and we walked down there on the 107 degree afternoon, thinking like, oh, maybe we can at least go for a swim. And we we parked a car and we went down there. and We walked down to the water, and it first of all, it smelled like hot, hot disgusting water. Like mm-hmm. you know, you know the smell. And then uh, my girlfriend looked at the water and she's like, oh, there's a dead fish. I'm not going to go in the water. So then she came back up the shore a little bit. And then, I don't know, I threw a few rocks, and then I walked down to the shore just to scope it out. And then within 30 seconds, I counted seven more large dead fish just just washed up on the dirt. Yeah. None of them had been eaten. The birds didn't want anything to do with them. The insects didn't want anything to do with them. They were just dead fish, just large, like the the size you'd be proud to catch, like if you were fishing in the reservoir. The dead they're just fish. There, just they're dead, just, you know, with a dead look. Yeah. That fish get when they're dead. That's a bad sign. Yeah. So we were trying to figure out if we should like email the BLM, be like, hey, just so you know, fish are dying. <laughs> we got a lot of fish death. Fish death. That's a hard thing to say. But then we were reading an article about somewhere else. Maybe it was in Minnesota. I don't know. A year ago, where the temperatures rose and then like thirty thousand fish died, and the government was like, yeah, it happens. So it's just hot fish. <laughs> just. Just hot, hot fish, hot unpalatable fish. Apparently, based on, based on the preserved yeah, do they structural churn, integrity. Do they, do they? I mean, essentially, did, did they rot alive? Is that what happened? Like they just rotted, they rotted to death. Does they hadn't rotted yet. I think they, it just got too warm for them in the water, and then they became they were they once were living fish, and then the water was hot, and then they became no longer living fish, and then they floated. And then the waves wash them to the shore. But to the point where where animals known for their um, proclivities for scavenging wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah, I think yeah. Maybe the, even the birds are like it's it's too hot. Everyone thought it's it's too hot. Yeah, just stay in the shade. Just stay in the shade. It's too hot there. Don't eat the fish. And who's to say when those fish became dead? It could have been earlier that very day. Mm-hmm. One of them looked like it had been pecked at. Maybe he was there first. And maybe they're just disgusting fish because, you know, the water was kind of gross too. Or maybe the, maybe the area birds just don't really like fish. Nothing against them. They don't need to eat fish. They can eat other birds. A lot to think about. Let's uh, let's give ourselves and uh, listeners an opportunity to think about it now, <laughs> uh, Jeff, by ending uh, this edition of the program. Well, once again, for, I don't know, the... Twelfth time in a row. I don't really know what we just did for an hour, but we definitely did do. We did something. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. That's fine. We gathered. We talked, and now we're going home to our separate places where we're already living. <laughs> and, and from which we were talking. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I want to thank you, Jeff. Oh, thank you, Carson. Why don't you stick around for a second? For um, we can exchange words, but. For the purposes of the program, I'll say, as I've already said thank you, I'll say that was Jeff Sullivan, editor at Fangraphs, editor at large, large editor at Fangraphs. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.